Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, as we kick off this episode of the Deep Dive, brought to you all by the great Queen Anne Beer Hall, um, I just have a simple question for you, really. And I think, you know, we'll just like answer this one question and then probably be good for the week. And then that's, you know, the question is, are, are the Kraken good? Because I have no idea anymore. <laughs> that's the million dollar question, isn't it, Dylan? Uh, I wish I could tell you. If I could tell you that, the, <laughs> I would. I could solve a lot of problems, I think, for us right now. Uh, but I'm sorry, I don't have any more insight into that than you do. Yeah, because this was, um, talk about a roller coaster week. Right. Since since we've last recorded this podcast, we, of course, recorded last Monday before that Hurricanes game. Uh, and we had, you know, we were talking lots of different stuff, obviously coming off the Vegas loss. And we were trying to you know figure things out. And what's the situation with Shane Wright? We knew he was going to come back into the lineup, but how much ice time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then, you know, Kraken do not play well in that game at all. Uh, but things start looking a little better against the Blues. They can, you know, fight back in a game, come come back and and, and force an overtime and, and steal a point out of that game. And then you go and you beat up on the Avalanche. And you're able to hold them off, fend them off throughout that, that, that entire game. You get, you know, a wonderful goal from Carson Kuhlman. And it's just, you know, you're continuing to work on the power play and everything's clicking there. Um, uh, Grubauer gets hurt, which is, you know, a story, something we'll talk about. And then you just go and like, just throw away a game to the Blackhawks multiple times. You're just like, we don't want to win. We don't even want a point. We want to just walk out of here with a big old L. And it was just like, what is happening? What is this team? I just don't know anymore. Um, but you know, throughout the post game lives of that, we, we got, you know, tons of questions from, from people, viewers, uh, Kraken fans, uh, and a lot of them were, were questions that, you know, we were asking ourselves and they all revolve around the idea of really what is going on here. So let's spend, uh, you know, a decent amount of time probably uh, talking about what's going on here. So I think the one thing that we just to start off with something positive, because, you know, we've talked beforehand, we're going to end this podcast positive. Don't worry, everybody. So let's go ahead and sandwich the negative. This is something we used to do in, in screenwriting classes. That's how we were supposed to give notes to everybody. You've got a sandwich between two positives. All right. So let's start off with a positive, RJ. And that is that this offense is legit. Like the Kraken offense is for real. The Kraken power play is for real. The new additions all look great. Burkowski looks fantastic. Um, Bjorkstrand looks good. Just having guys back for a second season within you know, the organization with this team, guys like McCann, he's heating up now that he's not got the full face of plexiglass in front of him. Uh, he uh, He's heating up, got Wenberg looking probably the best Wenberg has ever looked as a Seattle Kraken, I think, right now. Um, Matty Beniers is doing his thing, just having a healthy Jaden Schwartz. Like, that's awesome to see. And he's like quietly, you know, I think tied for the team leading points. <laughs> through this all we talked about that yesterday too i don't know how he does it but he's 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 a really productive player uh when it comes to the score sheet so that's that's i think where i want to start is just this offense is for real this team can score goals and that was you know certainly uh you know the most needed to be addressed problem this past off season and you're right. It's the thing that needed to be addressed, the thing that needed to be fixed the most. And that's kind of the area where Ron Francis uh, put most of his energies, most of his cap space uh, this offseason. And we're seeing the dividends, uh, how well these guys, uh, the new additions have come in and, and fit into the lineup and moved guys into the places in the lineup where they should be. Um, it's great. And Dave Haxtell, I think, has finally hit on what the right line combos are as far as the forwards. Um, like you said, it's the it's the most productive we've seen Wenberg in a while. Helps playing with Burakovsky and Bjorkstrand. You, you couldn't do that last season. Neither of them were in Seattle. Um, and then healthy Jaden Schwartz, you know, with the Matty Beniers uh, quietly. We, uh, you're right. We did talk about this on postgame. I don't know how he does it. I, I, I rarely notice him, you know, on the score sheet there. And all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's at the top of the points you know, of the points list. And we saw this last season with him too. Mm -hmm. It's not a fluke. It's just, it's just how he does things, but it's instincts. And I think we did notice it a little bit in that Blackhawks game uh, on that play where he just threw a puck to the net. Not sure what was going to happen with it, but turns out Alex Stalock was 
standing up, not really sure what he was doing, yeah. uh, but Maddie Beniers is in the right spot to put it home. So it, it's instincts, it's plays like that, uh, you know, that make him so valuable. And yeah, overall, the offensive firepower is night and day from what it was last season. Uh, and that has the potential to get this team really far. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, we can agree on uh, as far as it not being the issue, because, you know, we'll get to issues later, but the offense certainly isn't it. That's right. So Schwartz is tied for the team lead in points with six points through seven games, tied with Andre Burakovsky and Jared McCann. And the thing I want to highlight from this is from these new look lines that, you know, really everybody seems really, really happy with the, the new lines that Hackstall has put together. That's somebody from each line. You know, each of your top three lines is tied for your team lead in points. Like, that's awesome. That showcases the kind of depth that the Kraken can have when it comes to scoring and, and that they now seemingly do have as everybody is clicking, everybody's gelling, and, and they're able to get this team going um, up front. And it's, you know, obviously scoring goals was something the Kraken needed to do better from last year. Nobody can deny that. They were, you know, bottom five in literally like every offensive category. Um, but it's also just things like I feel like their forecheck is working better than it was last year. They have more of a cycle game going than last year. I feel like the forwards just, you know, they're utilizing the defenseman at the point better just to, you know, maintain possessions, not trying to force something down low or or, um, or try to force something to the middle where they got to skate through, you know, some brick wall of a defenseman. They're just like, no, I'm just going to settle things down, send it back to the point, and then I'm going to go get into, you know, a good shooting position, or I'm going to go get behind the defense at that point, and then I'll wait for the puck there. And that, you know, works better and we're not potentially giving up possessions that we don't need to be giving up in the offensive zone. We can keep the pressure on them. And so it's just been a really, really fun thing to see from this team because it was just not something we got to see last year. <laughs> yeah, it, win or loss, it, it makes a lot of these games a lot more fun. And I'm looking at the schedule now and I mean, they've hit that three goal mark in, in five of seven games so far. And, you know, that's that's a good benchmark as far as giving yourself a chance to win as far, from offensive production. Right. You'll see a lot of games like that, like a St. Louis Blues game or the uh, the Avalanche game. Right. Those are two games where you got three goals. A lot of times when you get three goals, if you can't outright win it like you did against the Avalanche, which was, you know, a, a total team effort to kind of control the Avalanche. That's a really good team you're playing there. Um, you're at least going to be able to pick up points. And that's something that the Kraken weren't able to do. And that's something good teams have to do if they want to make the playoffs. Uh, so it's it's definitely good stuff. And then, you know, it's only going to get better as Maddie gets more and more used to the NHL. Right. We're only 17 games into his career. It's kind of easy to forget that, but he's only 17 games. Really doesn't feel like it, does it? <laughs> I know. He's only 17 games into his NHL career. Shane Wright's only a handful of games into his career. Obviously, there's there's lots of growth and potential there for the two of them, but we'll save that talk for, for this, the, the compliment sandwich at the end. Um, so we, we just talked about the offense. They're scoring three goals. They can do that. The problem has been that they're giving up more than three. And so earlier on in the year, there was lots of talk about whether or not that was goaltending's problem or is that a defensive problem? Is it a coaching issue? Is it the players? And so let's go ahead and kind of dig into some of that. I think now that we've had a larger sample size of seven games, I think the, the easiest question to address is the kind of goaltending versus defense. And I feel like it's it's the defense. Yeah, this one seems pretty clear to me uh, now that we've gotten, you know, a Philip Grubauer net who's who's playing a little bit better. This is, you know, better than his, frankly, kind of awful start to last year. Yeah. Uh, Martin Jones has been solid. I think Martin Jones uh, has been really the the player to kind of expose what, you know, what the real answer is here, because what he's done so far this season is basically be kind of standard goalie that that gives you what you deserve. Uh, and I think that could be a really good thing for a team because it helps highlight where the issues are. Mm -hmm. um, but with Martin Jones in net so far this season, anyway, uh, if you play well, if you make things manageable on your goalie, you're going to win the game and he's going to do well for you. If you have defensive breakdowns, if you uh, are porous defensively and you give up a lot of high quality chances, he's not going to save you from that. Uh, they're, they're going to be goals that go in and you're probably going to lose the game. Uh, but that's helped highlight that I think the issue is the defense. Um, and we've seen it several games this season, just the defensive breakdowns, the lapses. I don't need to say a whole lot more about this, I think, because 
you know, if you're listening to this and you've watched some Kraken hockey over the last, you know, year and a half, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah, I think we're kind of starting to settle on an answer there. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's become more and more evident. It's becoming just a bigger and bigger part of like our post game live discussions. Right. Like that's just what everybody's focusing on uh, when we're not, you know, just celebrating the highs of like beating a Colorado. It's it's, you know, going through the therapy sessions after a game like yesterday against Chicago. And it's, you know, it's you just find yourself and you're pointing to defensive lapses, mistakes, turnovers, whatever it is, just to explain almost every single goal in a lot of these games. And that's just something that needs to be worked on. So um, there was lots of discussion about whether or not that was, you know, that kind of leads into the second question of, is that on the coaching staff or is that on the players? And lots of people have been on this, you know, kind of fire Hackstall train, but I want to kind of come to the defense of Hackstall because I don't feel that this is Hackstall or the coaching staff's fault as much. Right. I think, you know, it's fair, like the slow starts to games that they've had. I think you could put that on the coaching staff, uh, maybe not getting them ready to play right away or not motivated enough or whatever it is. Um, you know, I've made it clear in the past. My thoughts on that is, you know, at some point, you're a professional athlete. Just be ready to play like it's your job. But, uh, you know, I, I'm willing to cede some of the ground there in the debate. When it comes to this issue, though, with these defensemen and with the mistakes that we're seeing them make, the turnovers or just the lapses in coverage, the not keeping heads on swivels, just kind of sticking, you know, not not staying square to a play. So then you're not able to make a play when when the puck is there. Um, when it comes to all of that stuff, I just some of them are so basic. The breakdowns are so basic with this team that I just know that all of these defensemen, just because just by nature of getting to the NHL, they have had coaches at every single level explain these things to them, tell them this, coach them up on it uh, as they go through major junior and certainly, you know, AHL, NHL. They've had coaches giving them, you know, video sessions going over this. And it's just at some point. It has to stick. Like at some point, it's no longer the coaches, coaching staff's problem. I, I, I have to believe that the coaching staff is bringing some of this stuff up. It's bringing up the, you know, the the defensive lapses like we saw from, you know, I'm not trying to single them out, but like Carson Soucy in, in some of these games or Jamie Alexiak and his problems, particularly behind the net um, or, or, or like, you know, allowing players to get behind him, especially, you know, guys like Domi that are significantly smaller than him, and they're just kind of pushing him out of their way. Like, these are things that I guarantee you coaching staff is talking to these players about, and at some point, it's on the player to actually go out there and change the way they're playing. So I know everybody's, you know, it's easy to blame the coach. It's easy to blame the coaching staff. It's easy to just say, hey, fire them, and then things will get better. But I don't know that for this issue, that's really the the thing that will fix it. Mm -hmm. I mean, for when you talk about, you know, the turnovers, the defensive lapses, the things that, as you mentioned, we told to our, you know, might level players, you know, eight or nine years old, uh, not to do. And, you know, when it's happening at the NHL level, you know, they've gotten that coaching, you know, they know not to do this sort of thing. Um, when you talk about those issues, yeah, I, I think it does fall onto the players to, to get the job done on the ice. And I think that's something that, you know, Dave Haxtell, I, I don't know that he was trying to hint at it, but when asked about one of the, the, the tying goal or the go ahead goal um, last game against the Blackhawks, he said, you know, that's, that's a breakout. That's a very simple play. And it, and it didn't work out for us. And I think when you look a little deeper into that, when you, when you say it's a simple play uh, you know, that's something where it's almost out of coach's hands. You, you need to just execute on that simple play. Uh, and, and you can't kind of have your hand held through that. You need to know what you're doing and, and you need to go do it and execute. Um, so I, I do think it does fall on the players in those moments. Um, I think there are other times where, when it's a matter of focus and you talked about this as far as being prepared for those starts to games mm -hmm. uh, where it can fall on the coaching staff. Um, I think another moment is these response goals, because mm -hmm. this has been an issue for long enough that you have to, whether it's settling the players down or just doing something to make it present in their mind that this shift is important. We need to be solid on this shift um, where, where that does 
you know, become the purview of the coaches. And I think we saw that in the, the tying goal and then the winning goal 12 seconds later in that Blackhawks game where, you know, maybe you say an extra something, maybe you use a timeout. And that's one thing I wanted to talk about too, is, is use of timeouts. I don't know whether now is a good time to get into this, but, um, you know, we saw Dave Haxtell use his timeout uh, in the St. Louis Blues game. They're down 3-1 and it feels like, it's just coming off the rails. I mean, we, yeah. we both remember that moment in the game. We're just like, well, they're done. But took a timeout, settled things down. There was a lot of game left, and the Kraken were able to recover. They were able to kind of build that foundation of defensively sound hockey, start getting a forecheck going and pushing, and they were eventually able to mount that comeback. Uh, and I think the timeout is a tool that coaches, you know, something maybe should use more often. I think Hackstall should really think about using more often just given how often this kind of happens to his team. It worked with great results, you know, in the St. Louis game and in that Chicago game, as sloppy as things were for, for most of that game, once things started to go bad, I could think of three or four different moments where maybe you might want to use a timeout. Um, but the fact that none was used in that game, I don't know. I think that's something you have to go look back at because there were certainly times where you could have maybe hoped to settle things down. Yeah, it's timeouts in hockey are such an interesting thing, right? <laughs> like uh, at lower levels, right? You talk about back when we were coaching, you know, might level stuff, right? Back then, it was like you saved your timeout just for when your guys were tired. <laughs> you mm -hmm. didn't know it, you know, it's not <laughs> like you had multiple lines you could be rotating. Uh, there are games where it's just, you know, you have only like six players. So you're just saving timeouts for the third period just to, just to get everybody rested up. At the NHL level, that shouldn't be the case. Like maybe, you know, in a really long playoff game, that's that's something you need to consider. But, you know, again, they're professional athletes. You got a full squad. You're rotating lines through. They're professional athletes. They should be able to handle the 60 minutes of the, of the game. Um, so, you know, you don't have that issue. You have full 15-minute, you know, intermission breaks and, and whatnot. Uh, so it, it then becomes all about strategy. And I feel like this isn't just a hackstall thing, but most NHL coaches just seem hell bent on I have to hold on to this one timeout because I only get one and it is precious, and I have to save it in case I need a challenge or I need a, you know what I mean? Like there's just some big defensive. Well, challenge. You don't even need it for yeah, the you don't challenge need it anymore. For a challenge anymore, yeah. Uh, but they they'll save it like you need it for you know some big like defensive zone draw late in the game where I'm going to need to talk to my guys or maybe an offensive zone one and we're going to try to drop a play and we're going to really, really need it for that. And it's like, how often does that situation actually pop up? At least for the Kraken, not very often. You know what I mean? Like we've never, <laughs> I, I can't really think of the last time. Obviously it would be last season. So in that sense, yes, if, if you're a team that has problems with response goals or you have a problem with momentum, the way the Kraken clearly do whether that's you know once once the other team starts getting going we saw this like go back to the vegas game the carolina game really even moments through the anaheim game right to start the season this team has a hard time you know kind of being able to go out there after they've let in a goal and and keep the other the opposing team from building momentum that's just not something that the Kraken are capable of doing for whatever reason. That's its whole own podcast, probably, to try to dissect that <laughs> issue. So if you know that that's the problem with your team, then yes, use your timeouts for those moments. Stop the bleeding, kill momentum, use it just to talk to even, you know, just a couple guys, talk to your defense or, or to re-strategize, just like in that St. Louis game. We saw it um, when Colorado was down by two, right? Like, anytime you're down by two, you got to adjust your game, and you got to get, like, okay, we're going to get a little more simple. we got to, you know, get harder on the forecheck, all that stuff. Like, those are just kind of basic hockey principles. But if you need to take your time out to get that information out to your team to say, hey, this is what we got to do to change it up and, and get guys just a breath, let them calm down, recenter themselves, and get going, I, I think you have to do that. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, that decision, you know, is on the coach. Mm -hmm. um, but, but there's, there's another thing I wanted to talk about too, with this, because it's just, it, it baffles me. I mean, this whole thing baffles me really, <laughs> but how you can have that Colorado game, because we, we've talked a lot about the Chicago game mm -hmm. and all the, the problems there and just kind of the lack of focus. And at the end of the day, you got to go execute and the player's not able to do that. 
And then right before it, you have the Colorado game where for a full 60 minutes, everyone on defense was, was doing exactly the, the kind of thing that you want to have happen. The, the focus was there. Uh, the execution was there. It was all there. And for a full game, I, how can you have both of these things yes. happen in a span of a couple days? And I mean, does that point more to coaching or to execution? Because I think that's a question a lot of people have is they, they see that reality of, look, you can have a full 60 minute effort. They're capable of doing this. Mm-hmm. And then they go two days later and then they don't. Is that, I mean, d- does that kind of lean one way or the other as far as, you know, pointing to where I guess the blame, or if you want to look at it, credit, I guess, for the Avs game, yeah. you know, where does that lie? Yeah, I mean, it's clear that for the Avalanche game, just like if you go back to the Kings game, the Kraken had a very sound strategy, and they stuck to that game plan, and it worked, right? But it was a full team effort. Everybody had clearly bought in, and it was a 60-minute effort, too. Like, it took every single second of that game sticking to that game plan in order to pull out the the win against Colorado. It, It depends on why you think the Chicago game happens. Is it, do you, I mean, do you think that it was complacency then that, that causes that game where you just think, hey, it's, it's just Chicago. You come in, you start playing hard, you get out to that two goal lead early on. And, and it just looked like, you know, from certainly on that first goal that maybe the, uh, with a cracking around the power play that you, they just take their foot off the gas a little bit. Cause it's just like, Hey, we're up to nothing. We're on this power play late in this period. This team's not very good. We're definitely better than them. We can just kind of coast this one out now and you know the bottom line is at the professional level you can't ever do that with any team i don't care who it is and and so if if that's the if that's the case then that's again probably something that's shared by both sides the players and the coaching staff right at some point the players just you know hey again it's your job you should just be playing as as, you know to the full extent of your abilities every time you're on the ice but again that's unrealistic in an 82 game schedule there's always going to be nights where guys just aren't going to be mentally focused or whatever you know it is um and then on the flip side again the coaching staff were they ever were they treating you know, Chicago, like it was still a big game and it's still a road game and it's still, you know, a team with good players like a Patrick Kane that you have to think about and game plan for. Uh, So how serious was preparation on that one day off between two games? How serious was it? Like at any point was Haxtell thinking of calling a timeout to kind of settle things down and get to his team and just be like, guys, you're better than them. What is going on? You know what I mean? Like, think about this for a second. Take a breath get yourself pumped up and get back out there and, and, and squash these guys. You know what I mean? Like, like, so, you know, it, was it, was it also complacency on the coaching staff's fault? I don't know that we'll have an answer for that really, like without being in the minds of all the parties involved. I think it's probably both. I think at, at some point the coaching staff wasn't treating it super seriously. And this might be something that was hinted at a little bit. Maddie in his post game presser yesterday, like was asked a question about practicing like, is the team practicing enough? So it sounds like maybe they didn't practice on that off day in between. And maybe that, you know, maybe that's contributing if they're not having practices or it's lots of optional skates. Maybe that's contributing to some of these defensive breakdowns. Guys just aren't getting enough reps and it's easy to fall into bad habits when you're not, you know, getting enough reps and you're keeping that that muscle memory going for these certain specific situations. I don't know. Maybe that that stuff would be more on the coaching staff because that's obviously their decision to make. Um, but at the same time, just the players got sloppy in that Chicago game too. And that's just something that only the players can control. So it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, it is. An interesting point on the practicing there, you know, with the question of veneers, cause th- there have been a few canceled practices recently, uh, you know, more than usual. And I know Haxtell's kind of preached the, the importance of rest. And I, I'm yeah. generally a, a believer in that. I don't think you want to, you know, push these guys, especially it's a long season. It's a long grind. You don't want to push these guys too hard. Right. Um, but it, you know, when, when things like this start to happen, it, it, it does, you know, maybe become an issue. And I'm looking at the practice schedule for this coming week and it, it does seem, you know, today's a day off, but, uh, you know, coming back from the road trip and everything, uh, but they do have practices kind of sprinkled in, you know, throughout the, in between the three games. 
uh, this week. So um, that's probably a chance, and especially at home, I guess, to get a little bit more practice time in. We'll see yeah. if that becomes a factor. Yeah, I was going to say it's infinitely easier at home, right? Like you have a practice facility designed for this. <laughs> like you don't always have that on the road. Um, now, so, if one of those gets canceled, then I think it, you maybe you start thinking about. <laughs> right. But, but um, at the same time, it's also like, you know, there's four games this calendar week. How often do you want your guys practicing? when every other day they have to go through a game. So like I under I totally understand Hackstall's thinking with all this. And you could totally look at it and go like, hey, forward group's doing fine. Like I don't wanna I don't wanna like wear them down, you know what I mean, with too many yeah. practices. But I, I think it needs to be talked about. Yeah. And then man, the optics of just calling a defense only practice, that'd be yeah, uh you can't do that. So <laughs> No, you can't do that. So it's it's an interesting it's all interesting questions. I still it just based on the work we've seen the forward groups doing, based on the line combinations that we've seen from the forward groups and how well they're all synergizing, the fact that we're seeing these really good game plans against good teams like the Kings, like the Avalanche, I just not I'm not to the point where I can like kind of agree with the more public sentiment of hey, Hackstall's got to go. It's this these are all issues on his part. I I really feel like this is an issue that you know, for the most part, as we talked about earlier, can really just be pinpointed to the defense. And again, as you start breaking down what the issue is with the defense, it becomes really murky as to who's who's at fault there. Yeah, it does. And I mean, I, I'm trying to think of how I how I want to say this because um, I know it's hard. <laughs> it is. It is right. When it, I guess, when you have these these great demonstrations of like there's a game plan and you know in advance there's a game plan mm -hmm. and then it's executed so well i mean i have i have kind of been seeing the praises of this coaching staff at various points uh throughout you know training camp and then this season when when it all comes together um it looks great and and more importantly than that it just looks intentional you know i mean right. that was something that we were really wanting to see last season from the coaching staff is just give us a plan give us something that you know that is clear that you're trying to do and execute on yeah. um and, and then you know we can we can judge you based on whether you can execute on that or not but how many times last season we said it, what's the plan what's the plan right. here what's you know what's the idea what are they trying to do through the neutral zone what are they trying to do on the breakout um and at least we've gotten flashes this season of it being clear what they're trying to do in certain games. And it seems like when they've been the most clear on that, they've had the most success, but it's a matter of doing it consistently. Uh, and if I guess, you know, we'll tell when, when we have more games and a bigger sample size, because if you can't do it consistently enough, if, you know, if you get that everything coming together and the plan working, you know, one out of every four games, yeah, that's not good enough. And, and you kind of learn that over time and you've got to bring in someone who can do it more often than one every four games. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's still early in the season and, and at least we've kind of seen uh, some reasons for optimism there. Um and so, yeah, I don't want to, you know, fully, I, I'm not basically done with the coaching staff. And I think the way that a lot of people are, um, right. but, but I, I'm, I don't want to, you know, I guess defend them too strongly and say they're not doing anything wrong because uh, there, there are still definitely areas for, for improvement and areas that are over, you know, basically a year old as far as yeah. areas that need improvement. So um, I can kind of, uh, sorry guys, I, I can't just jump into yeah. one camp or the other. Um I have one more question for you, though, and, and this okay. is um, it's kind of similar to the one about the Colorado game. And, you know, how can you have both of these things at once? But I want to talk about the forward group just for a little bit since we touched on it. Yeah, because one thing I thought was really interesting last game and I'm talking about the Chicago game is that you had Eddie Olchek talking about a conversation he had with Ron Francis in the second intermission. Mm -hmm. And it's very rare that that you hear on a broadcast comments from the GM about that game, you know, while the game is going on. Uh, it's just rare that, that that happens. And so I think we should talk about it a little bit, but the main point, I guess that Ron Francis made to Edzo was the Kraken forwards or players, I guess, but forwards, I think mostly yeah. were passing up opportunities to shoot the puck more. Now, that's not some huge catastrophic problem. It wasn't leading to goals against necessarily, um, but, but it's just one of those little things that, 
again, is it execution? Is it on the players to just be like, hey, throw the puck on net more? You you know this. You you know that that leads to goals. Or is it on coaching to you know tell them, hey guys, shoot the puck more? Like you know we're right. we're we're better than them. We're getting chances. Uh, you got to put it on net to score. You know the old Gretzky yeah. quote: miss miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. You have to put write that up on the whiteboard. You can write the dash Michael Scott next to it if you want. Yeah. Um, but again, what what is that? I th- again, it's a it's a good question, right? Like. Without being privy to the all conversations involving the coaching staff and the players, it's hard to know, right? So it's yeah. all speculation to some point. But that I mean, this is that's something that at some point I think fault lies on both sides, just because this is an issue that goes back to last season, right? Like how how many games on Twitter you'll just see when when one of those situations comes up, and there seems to be multiple times each game where it's like a two-on-one and somebody's just making that one extra pass and you'll just watch twitter fill up with all these people like why are you doing that you know what i mean and it and it was just it's just a regular part of like the crack and viewing experience even in the first the first goal i think it was in the chicago game it it felt like hey Carson Coolman coming in, I think it was, on the right side. Like, just shoot that puck. Why are you making the pass over? Geeky can't mm-hmm. quite handle it, but he gets it enough, and he just kind of throws it blindly back behind him. And thank, thankfully, McCann was there. You know what I mean? But, like, that was like a – it wasn't like that, oh, hey, that's how they drew that play up. You know what I mean? Like, no. that was just kind of sloppy luck. Chicago's a bad team, and you had guys in the right spot to make it all work. You know what I mean? You can't count on that at all. No, it- it was a great individual effort by Morgan Geeky. And if you yes. saw his intermission interview with Piper, he said, I thought Cooley was going to shoot that puck. So right. I was just kind of panicking, trying to reach it. And so I guess somehow yeah. I got it to Canter. But like that, <laughs> that it threw him off. I, I thought they were kind of just throwing away a chance there. Credit to Morgan Geeky on that play. But mm-hmm. that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Right. So I don't know if this is a case of, you know, coaching staffs throughout these players' careers talking about how, you know, it looked. Anytime you get the goalie moving side to side, so much more opens up, and your you know your percentage chance of scoring a goal goes up, whatever it is. Um, but it, it just feels like that that is an issue with this team, and again, this is a long-standing issue with this team. This is not like some new development with like the new players you brought in, right? Like that's that's not what it is. <laughs> this is this is something that's been around for a very very long time, and the fact that you're hearing the general manager talk about that to the color you know commentator. Uh, the way that that all happened tells you that that is that is something that the organization wants to focus on moving forward. It just begs the question of, you know, we've talked about the forward groups. This is kind of really the only issue with the forward groups right now is just that issue. Um, do, do we want and does the organization really want most of the effort going to figuring that issue out when you have the defensive issues going on. Cause you know, one of the things that we've been praising Haxtell is, Hey, you, you figured out good forward lines. And like yesterday, the fact that Morgan geeky was just slotted into Gord's spot. They didn't do a massive reshuffling of the lines. Everybody stayed where they were. Otherwise they just, they just plugged the one hole they had with a player. That's something that I don't feel like Haxtell would have done last season. And it looked good. Again, the forwards were not the problem in that Chicago game. Everybody was still going. You got four goals out of that game. And I don't think any were on the power play either. Those were all, you know, four even strength goals. So that that to me showed growth from the coaching staff and and showed a willingness to, hey, I think we've hit on something special here and I want to keep things consistent for all of our players there. And so I was really really happy to see that. Do we is really the place they need to be focusing on is coaching up the defense and changing the defensive pairings because the defensive pairings have been untouched so far this season and at some point when game after game we're kind of signaling out the defense as the problem when do you start messing with those when you start focusing on that and saying hey we need to find that same level of chemistry that same level of cohesion guys being on the same page all of that that we're seeing from this forward group we need to find that defensively now. Yeah, and I think it might be as soon as morning skate tomorrow. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what what we find there. But it does highlight a completely different approach from the start of training camp until now with the forwards versus the defense. Because we saw 
kind of endless line shuffling with the forwards. And and Dave Haxtell said, I want to try different things out. I want to try out different looks. Even on the eve of the start of the season, you saw that the big shuffle with Shane Wright kind of going down to the fourth line and, and more forward changes and um, switching up the left wings. You had, you know, kind of McCann, Burakovsky and Schwartz. And which one of those three do we want with the different forwards and um, all these different changes. But there's a reason for that because it gives you different looks and you kind of try and find which is best. And that's what the preseason and the early season is for where you figure that stuff out, but all through training camp, as soon as, you know, kind of the cuts were made and you actually started getting real D pairs, it was this look consistently. I, they, they rarely ever changed from it. Um, it seemed like this was kind of the plan from day one. And they're just like, well, this, this better work. Um, you know, Dunn Larson has been a thing since mid last season. They weren't going to break that up. Um, they kind of decided early on that, that Schultz and Alexiak was going to be that pair and then Susie and Borgen. Um, and yeah, they've seemed really resistant to going away from it. They didn't even really want to try different things out. It seemed like, um, so just completely different approaches from the forwards and the D and I guess, you know, in this case, we've seen which one works better. Right. Exactly. So that's something that I, you know, I think everybody at this point wants to see worked on. Uh, I think that's really the thing that the organization and the coaching staff specifically should be focused on working on is, is the D pairs and, and figuring something out there, getting the defense right. Just, just limiting mistakes. That's the bottom line. Like it's just about limiting mistakes. Cause right now all the issues you're having are self-inflicted wounds and they're mostly happening because of the defense. Uh, and, it's it's just something that has to change. Um, that being said, just to you know, kind of again get positive again, and this is something else that I don't think is totally a fair criticism that we've been seeing, you know, on social media. Some people bring it up in the in the post game lives. We talked about it a lot yesterday. Is the fact that you know this team again? It's it's better than it was last season. Just just look at the standings. They're in third place in the division. If the if the season ends today, they're in the playoffs. Right? They've got six points through seven games, two, three, and two record. And that's so much better than last year. And I know that, you know, there's there's the worry, and, and we've talked about this when it comes to other teams and stuff. The worst kind of place to be is that kind of borderline playoff territory where you're not quite really a playoff team. And even if you make it, you're not going to do anything, but you're not low enough to really build through the draft or anything like that. And and the Kraken are kind of going to hang out in that space. They're going to be about 500 probably through most of this season. But that's such an improvement from last year because they were not capable of being 500 last year. And because this is a young team with developing stars in Matty Beneers and Shane Wright and still developing chemistry with these new offseason additions and stuff, that is still a step in the right direction. If they're there again next year, that's, that's when that becomes a problem. But the fact that right. they could get to 500 this year, the fact that they are technically in a playoff spot right now, the longer they can stay in that playoff chase hunt especially this year because the west looks terrible like the whole western conference has been really bad this year um as as the longer that they can continue that that is just such such growth from where we were last year and it deserves to be talked about and everybody within the organization from players to coaching staff to front office deserves credit for that and and it should be something that we focus on agreed and as much as we question well is this team good? Like, do what, what's going on here? I think one thing that's pretty certain through these first seven games is this team. This is not a bad team. Yeah. And we know we we saw a bad team last year. We know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this team does look different than that. Yes, there are still some things to clean up, but as far as the the talent level and and from top to bottom. This is not the team that, that we saw last year. This is a better hockey team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's going to be reflected. It's already being reflected in the standings. Right. It's going to continue to be reflected in the standings, um, it, which, hey, like last talking about it last season, we would take that growth. Oh, you yeah. know, we wanted to see improvement and just to, to be somewhat in the thick of things. Right. You said if the playoffs started today, they'd be in a playoff spot. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I that's that's something that's you know worth celebrating the fact that we're you know that's they're not at the bottom of the standings already that at least you can look at some of the other teams around there and be like oh let's you know hope they don't win so they don't you know pass us or whatever it's it's just kind of being in the thick of things 
uh, for as long as possible. That that's really important at this point for where this team is at right now. Um, and I think that's something that we that we take. And then the Colorado game that it shows us some of the upside too. The fact that they can play with any team in the league when things are on and that if they can get some of this stuff figured out and get these game plans going more consistently, then, okay, there's that upside. Maybe you can challenge for a playoff spot if, if you can sort these things out, which you're seven games in, uh, there's time to sort these things out, you know, debate whether you have the confidence in the, in the players or the coaching staff or whatever it is, you know, to be able to do that as currently constructed. But the potential is there, um, and it's going to make for a much more exciting season, you know, than than last year, where, you know, just kind of out of it by American Thanksgiving, and I, I just don't see that in the cards for the Kraken this year. No, I don't either, and um, it's it's yeah, like I said, it's just something to to stay focused on. And the other thing to stay focused on, if you just give me a sec here, RJ, is uh, go for it. Is is just the idea of like just think back to the draft everybody when Shane Wright falls to us and and the reality sets in of hey wow we're drafting this other you know potential superstar franchise center and just how happy we were because of all the visions of the future all the potential that the Kraken had right all the hope we could have for what this team could then turn into having a Matty Beneers and a Shane Wright down the middle for a decade and and what that means in a sport like hockey and and I do think that the word to focus on there that that a lot of us had throughout the offseason as they're bringing in guys like Burakovsky as they're making the the trade to take advantage of having the cap space to get a Bjorkstrand right all of those things right the 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 thing that you know, all sports fans, regardless of the sport, regardless of where you are in the world, the one thing that, that kind of links everybody together is the idea of hope for your team. And the hope for our team wasn't that, you know, we were going to be competitive this year or that we were going to be over 500 this year. It was that moving forward, we were going to, we were going to just take a step forward this year and then watch the development and growth of these young guys. And over the next three, five seasons, we're going to get to the point where we're going to be an, a super legit team in this league and we're going to be a Stanley Cup contender and we're going to have playoff runs and we're going to be battling with those top teams. And I just think that that's, again, something to focus on. Hope is what drives really everything when it comes to life if we if we want to get <laughs> if we want to get philosophical about it i was just actually you know this has kind of been like a theme of the week for me in my house i was just telling my sister uh to watch the movie children of men which is a fantastic movie i'm just going to plug it here i absolutely love that movie alfonso Cuarón directed uh, clive owen uh, lots of people in it but the whole concept of the movie without giving it spoilers is um the human race stops having children Okay, and so what does life look like if just kids aren't born anymore? And it's the absolute loss of hope. And that's what the theme is, is that, you know, as long as there is a future, there's always hope and there's always something for all of us to be working towards. And if you take that away, you essentially have nothing, right? Like you can go through your day to day, you can have things, but it's not the same anymore because you know there is no future. There's nothing that's going to be left. Right. And so it's a it's a fascinating movie and it's a fascinating concept. And the, the thing with sports is there are there are occasions where you'll go through that as a sports fan. I think Vancouver's probably feeling that right now. <laughs> if you don't talk to their fan yeah. base, it's just this complete and utter lack of hope. And you're seeing what it's doing to them. Just just type in Vancouver Canucks on Twitter and check out all the discussions going on there and all the videos that are being posted about it. And we are not anywhere close to that situation. And so I just want us all to focus on the fact that, you know, like we said, yes, this team might just hover around 500, but that's still improvement. And really the thing to focus on when it comes to being a Seattle Kraken fan isn't this year. This year is just about enjoying being better and enjoying the growth and the, you know, the Calder campaign for Matty Beneers and seeing Shane Wright slowly get more and more ice time and, and find his place in the NHL. I know, you know what I mean? Like that's, that is what this year is supposed to be. I know people, you know, a lot of people are focusing on the ice time for Shane Wright. It's so early in the season. It's so early in the season, but it is something to keep track of because over time, as it goes up, that will be able to, you know, have that kind of game by game tracking. So I understand both sides of the argument there. Some people are getting upset by how focused people are there. But that is part of what this season was for. The hope for our franchise is the future and and it's still there. It's very much there. Um and, and I just 
you know, want to just remind everybody of that because I think that's going to help us through games like Chicago because that's just, it's going to happen. And if we're going to be a 500 team, that means half the, half the nights we're, we're leaving after a loss. That is what that means, but it's okay because the future is still so bright for this team. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Dylan, no, I think you really helped kind of put things in perspective there uh, because I, I'm thinking back to even just a month ago when we were talking about, you know, our Pacific Division preview and, and looking at what the Kraken were shaping up to do this season. And I, you know, neither of us really had them in a playoff spot. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, all the focus was, yeah, this is going to be kind of a team for two, three years down the road. And, and but that solid foundation and no one was really getting upset about you know, like, yeah, no, I kind of agree. You know, maybe fifth or sixth in the division is, is probably about right. And that's okay. And, uh, but I'm so excited about, you know, the, the young players coming in and the prospects and man in three years, are we going to be good? Um, and, you know, I think we can tend to lose sight of that sometimes. Uh, and, and I understand it, you know, when you're, when you're sitting down on a Sunday morning and, and watching that, on your TV. I, I understand, yeah. you know, maybe losing sight of the bigger picture. Uh, but I think it is important to to kind of put that in perspective and, um, you know, maybe get in touch with where we were like a month ago. Uh, and, and that excitement that that we, you know, that we all felt kind of for the team and, and where it's going long term. And I think, you know, one thing that's that's really helped me with that is is going to the uh, a couple Firebirds games this past week. Uh, you know, that's really helped with that. But I, I think, um, you know, it is important to put that in perspective and, and, you know, still, still look at that long-term plan and not to get back into the weeds of the coaching and everything, but, you know, Shane, Wright, I, I have seen big reasons for optimism, big reasons mm -hmm. for hope, not just with Shane Wright and his play and his attitude and all of that. Um, but with how the coaches have handled that situation too. Um, you can go back to kind of our different post game lives to, to see my, you know, the individual analysis from each game. Um, but, but the way that Dave Haxtell has handled uh, Shane, Wright, Kind of putting him in some positive situations. I know the ice time is less than, than we'd all want. Let's be honest. Uh, but I'm seeing that there's a plan there and I right. don't think it's just Dave Haxtell's plan. No. I think it's an organizational plan. And hopefully that gives you all listening more confidence in it. You know, maybe if you don't have uh, the best opinion of Dave Haxtell, maybe you trust Ron Francis a little bit more because I guarantee that he is a, a stakeholder in these decisions and in what this plan is. Um, but I, I see the little things in trying to put him in good spots in games. And so because of that, I have optimism about, you know, how things are going to play out over the next 10, 20, 30 games uh, and Shane Wright's development and knowing that on the player's side too, you know, how dedicated he is to getting better uh, and improving. I, I still feel very optimistic about that. So that's another good thing to, to kind of hang your hat on and to, to think about in times like this, when, when the game in front of you can be frustrating. Yeah. And, and then to also celebrate the, the moments within those games, uh, you know, really like, like Shane Wright getting his first point. Right, like we haven't talked about yeah. that yet on this podcast. We're forty something <laughs> minutes in, uh, but but he got his first point. Like there, there, that is the excitement stuff. That is the stuff that you're seeing those building blocks for the future. And yeah, you talk about Ron Francis and the plan. He said from the beginning, three to five years, right? And and I think I talked about this on one of the post games just this last week, right? Or, or maybe it was even last week on the podcast. Ron Francis has this way of just telling us the truth. And we all tried to read a bunch into it and do all this stuff with it. And the bottom line is he's just always just honest. And, and that's one of those things was it was a three to five year plan when he came in and when this team started and we're year two. And, and, you know, yes, things have, Matty Beniers has blossomed in a way that maybe not everybody could have expected, uh, at least not this quickly. And so there's reason to, to think like, wow, maybe we're ahead of schedule there. And you pick up a Shane Wright when that didn't seem like a possibility beforehand. And so, you know, you want to, you want to accelerate that timeline because it is so exciting, right? Like that is one of the things with, with hope or looking forward to anything, right? Uh, like back to when you were a kid and your birthday's approaching or Christmas or whatever it is, right? Like you're, you want it to get there and you want it to happen. And, and there are days where that's all you're really focused on, but that's when you have to just slow things down a little bit 
think about the present focus on the games in front of you uh even even games like that chicago game and and just you know focus on the on the little things that are good and that can be celebrated like shane wright's improvement game after game maddie beniers doing what he's doing as he's kind of transitioning from trying to be a point per game guy into being just you know a legit top center and 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 the growth that he's had there again something we haven't really talked about too too much but the the bottom line is he looks like a 1c in this league even if you know he's not scoring at at a league you know leading pace the just the 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 overall game he's playing and the way that line is playing is is really something to watch so yeah it's there's there's a lot of stuff there and and I'm glad you brought up Coachella Valley because uh they are 3 and 1 do want to talk about that a little bit. That's an excellent start for a team that didn't exist, you know, a little while ago. <laughs> a couple months That's ago. That's right. Didn't exist. So um, good stuff there. Coaching staff has been doing a phenomenal job. We got uh, you. Why don't you actually talk about that a little bit? Because you've been to some of these Coachella games. I realized we talked about it, but we talked about it on our Patreon live game commentary stream. I think it's worth noting some <laughs> of the just some of the stuff you were talking about with the coaching staff in particular that really stuck with me. So I would love if you could mm-hmm. just kind of let people know here on the deep dive. That's right. So the Firebirds have uh, have hit the ground running. And on the uh, video version of the podcast on YouTube here, you can see this. Got the little Firebirds towel from one of the games. Um, yeah, they they played two games that I went to. Well, first of all, they played four games overall. They're three yeah. and one. That's pretty good. Um, and uh, they played two games in the Seattle area this past week. Uh, one at Kraken Community Iceplex and then one at Climate Pledge Arena. And so I was able to go to both of those games. Um, and I, first of all, I just had a great time, you know, watching this team that kind of has come from nothing that, that didn't exist uh, until very recently play and, and kind of seeing, uh, you know, really everything that, that's been done to build this team up from the ground, getting to talk to some of the people, you know, responsible for that uh, ha- has been a real treat. But, um, you know, since we, we've got kind of our, our time constraints, I'll talk about really, you know, the, the coaching and then and then the on-ice takeaways uh, from going to those games because there was some really interesting stuff there and things that that gave me a lot of optimism, you know, for the future and, and just for what they're building down there and, and that's going to be connected to the Kraken organization for a long time. Um, I'll start with the coaching staff. Uh, I love this coaching staff. I, I mentioned this kind of during training camp uh, and liking the way that they were approaching uh, when they handled those days of, of whether it was training camp or, or rookie camp or anything like that. Um, but I, I think they're just so perfectly kind of balanced to each other. First of all, Dan Bilesmo, we've kind of raved about him in the past and I know you're a fan Dylan, <laughs> um, but just the energy that he brings uh, to every game coaching behind the bench. I mean, I, I try and watch everything on the ice, but you know, when a stoppage happens or, or there's a TV timeout, I immediately go right to the bench uh, you know, to watch him. He is a, a great motivator, always super into the game, good at getting guys pumped up. I mean, before the opening face-off of their their first ever home game, he was kicking the the glass back behind him like, you know, let's go, let's go, you know, getting all the guys fired up. Um, so that's great. I mean, when there's, you know, a, a call or something he needs to to talk to the refs about that's always uh, you know a fun experience too there was a uh, a hit late where a, fi- a firebird player you know hit a canucks player and um you know the canucks were complaining and a, and a little scrum came up and and you could hear bilesma all the way from across the rink on the bench like he didn't touch him he didn't touch him talking to the ref <laughs> so you know that's fun and then i i gotta mess- mention jessica campbell as well uh because I, I think I said this on the, you know, on that post game, but she is the perfect kind of, you know, yin to his yang. Like they balance each other out perfectly, always so calm and and calculated. She's the one with the headset too. So she's talking to the people in the back. Um, and what I love most about her coaching is the individual instruction for players. So we saw this a lot at training camp and at, at dev camp as well. Um, but she will just kind of pull a player aside just for a little bit during a TV timeout or, or, you know, whenever it is, there's a stoppage where you, she can talk to a player uh, and pull out the whiteboard, pull out the tablet and just give some individual instruction in a way that, you know, not a lot of assistant coaches, you know, it, it's more in depth than you would normally see. I think, I mean, she took a solid, minute, minute and a half during a TV timeout with the whiteboard and everything to talk to Ville Petman and kind of go through the, the last shift and everything. Um, 
So I liked seeing that from her. Uh, and then I, I just the the pairing of, of her and Dan Bilesma, it works so well. Uh, they complement each other well. And, and especially there was a, um, uh, I think, a high stick. A goal was disallowed because of a high stick. And Bilesma's out there, you know, kind of talking with the refs and just trying to argue his case or whatever. And you can see Jess Campbell in the background kind of holding her lapel up with the microphone and talking to the video people, you know, relaying the message over to Bilesma and um you know then they're like <laughs> Bilesma is like I'm gonna challenge this whatever and she whispers it you're like okay no no challenge we're not challenging this <laughs> <laughs> so you know it just the the coaching staff it, it works out really well um so I, it's been a joy watching them and I think I mean you're seeing it pay dividends already we know how hard it is to get a team prepared uh to play after not existing we saw that last season with the kraken it felt like they were constantly behind and and who could blame them right because they were all coming together they had never all played together before um it was a brand new team and they're facing off against teams that have been together for a while uh and the firebirds were facing a similar challenge this year and when you can hit the ground running and go three and one to start the season and and convincingly too to look mm -hmm. good while doing it uh that speaks volumes about the coaches and the players as well um but yeah it, just the preparation uh it looked good uh watching the few days of their training camp and it's good to see the results follow on the ice yeah it, exactly and i just i love hearing those stories uh, i gotta <laughs> yeah really really fun it's got to be to see the game at kci <laughs> i guess just it's so wild to me that that's the situation that's going on but really cool. I, it was a crazy environment i mean just you know, to fit a pro hockey game into that rink one where I play my beer league games sometimes. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just crazy to see. You could see the, the Abbotsford players kind of stretching and warming up just in the hallway uh, before the game. You know, there, there was like an injured player that un unfortunately, you know, couldn't come back to the game. He was just walking through the main lobby with a trainer. I mean, um, yeah, just, just an odd environment there, but uh, a great atmosphere too. Cause, cause all the fans that, that showed up, um, I mean, they got loud, they cheered, they were all along the glass too. Cause everyone, you know, you could just kind of go wherever you wanted. So there were just, you know, kids running along the glass, jumping up into it while the play is going. Uh, it just, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, but it's, it sounds so cool. Very, very jealous. Not <laughs> up there for that. And then just to stick with our theme of hope and future plans and everything, Riker Evans, three points through the Firebirds' first four games and leading the team with a plus nine. So when when players plus nine plus nine leading the team with a plus nine you know what i'm gonna actually check like all teams and see where that is in all of the ahl yeah that leads all of the ahl Riker evans with a plus nine so you know we don't get time on ice stuff with with the ahl we talked about that last week um probably not gonna get like advanced stats as far as uh zone starts and everything <laughs> when it comes to things like that either but it's clear that that uh the coaching staff's putting him in good positions to succeed and he is you know he's he's succeeding so that's that's very good to see and uh something that you know we all want for sure uh just you know that's uh i guess we should just talk really quick just about the actual like news from this week too because i know we wanted to jump in all the topics earlier so we'll kind of do quick hits here at the end um grubauer leaves the colorado game uh, after, you know, allowing a goal, we see him wince and flinch. He doesn't look, you know, totally right as he goes to the bench and Martin Jones comes in to finish that one. Crack and call up Joey Decor and the, you know, what we know as far as Grubauer, unless you got you know, new information recently here, RJ, is that Grubauer is just day to day. Yep. Day to day, lower body. And there's a, a range of what that could mean as yes. far as day to day. Remember, Jonas Donskoy has been day to day since the preseason. Uh, so, yeah, day to day, lower body. I don't anticipate we'll get any more of an update until he returns to the ice. Uh, we'll keep a, an eye out for him, you know, maybe before uh, morning skate tomorrow or something just to see if he's on the ice. Uh, but, yeah, no new information on that. Right. And when it comes to Joey being up, just just for people who maybe haven't heard us address this on postgame lives or on Twitter, um, Joey won't have to pass through waivers again unless he's with the NHL club for 30 days or he plays in 10 games, right? Yep, that, that's correct. So if he hits either one of those, then he'll have to pass through waivers again. Uh, but, you know, we're a ways away from that. Right. So Kraken, you know, Grubauer's got 30 days to kind of uh, see where he's at and all that kind of stuff before um, that would become an issue because I know everybody was worried about that right? <laughs> when they when they bring up Joey. Um, 
let's see did we talk about the michael kempney contract termination last week did that happen no this we week? didn't yeah that happened this week so yeah that happened this week i guess you know maybe should have started there back when we were talking about the firebirds but michael kempney's contract um with you know the kraken organization uh, was terminated sounds like he's going back to europe doesn't sound like you know there's anything like bad that happened or anything just you know probably wasn't the, you know he wanted to play in the nhl and and didn't quite make it and so looking for just a better opportunity for himself i i think is what's going on there yeah it's a, a mutual contract termination i mean this is this happens sometimes uh, you know we see it a few times every year with, with various players i think it yeah probably just came down to opportunity and uh wishing the best in europe yeah for sure and then um yanni gord just that situation uh we don't know anything you don't uh put on the non-roster list on what saturday uh i guess it would mm -hmm. be and then um for personal reasons you know don't know anything about that definitely not going to speculate on anything but the kraken have said he will be back with the team for tuesday's game yep so that's that's good news at least that he'll be back tuesday hope everything's all right with him yeah for sure uh and i think that's it when it comes to news am i forgetting anything yeah, I believe that's it as far as, you know, kind of the roster news. All right. So sounds good. I think we can go ahead and call this uh, a completed episode then. Just hit the hour mark and everything. Um, once again, thank you so much for, for listening to this, everybody. Uh, thanks for all the continued support you all give us. Thanks to Jen for the photos sprinkled throughout the video version of this podcast. And a huge shout out and thanks to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring it, as always. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of The Deep Dive, everybody. We will see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over on patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep tier patrons, Alex, Brian, Coop, Daryl, Duthin, Eli, Gary, Jared, Joey, Joni, Joshua, Hasue, Kitty B. Kraken, Lane, Leanne, Maya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Scott, Sean, Sergeant Pickles, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Tyler, Valentina, and Wendy. Thank you so much for making all of this possible. We really appreciate your support.